Growing up was um, a joy. I grew up in a family that loved me, that cared for me, that encompassed me with love and with the joy of knowing the love of God. I grew up going to church. I grew up going to, uh, for most of my little childhood years, going to Walnut Hill Methodist Church in Dallas. And I just, I knew that I was loved. I knew I was surrounded by love. Even though I had an older brother, I knew I was surrounded by love. My older brother is named Chuck. And going up on the screen here in a moment is a picture of me and my older brother. Yes, that's me with the curly hair. Now, how that angelic-looking boy there on the left turned into the monster that became my brother, I don't know. I say that, and yet I love my brother. Even though every once in a while he took to hitting me, as older brothers will sometimes do. Even though every once in a while he took to teasing me, as older brothers will sometimes do. Even though when we slept in the same room in bunk beds, and he would be on the top bunk and I'd be on the bottom bunk, and he would like to hang off the end and scare me, I loved him anyway. He's an older brother after all. And he just had to lord it over his little brother. He tended to tell, call me by my name backwards, Gerg. <laughs> and he liked to put little, th- little notes in corners of pieces of paper and, and cards and stuff that say, only eggs look in corners, because he sometimes called me egg too. In other words, he just loved to pick on me. We got into fights, we got into disagreements. Those, some of those fights and disagreements you know, lasted a long time, even to this day. Sometimes we'll get into disagreements and arguments. To this day, sometimes the words aren't very nice that we share back and forth. But that's what it means to have a brother or a sister. My family was a loving family. We were close-knit. You can see there's my dad on the, on the right there. Well, look at that chin. Wow. That was my dad, Mayo Neal. My mother on the left, this was taken 19, can you guess what year? About 1971. Two, 1972 at Walnut Hill. There I am down at the bottom. Boy, I'm growing up. My brother up atop, missing a tooth in the middle. Yep, that's my brother. Yep. Such an angelic family, who would have known that they would turn into us? Wow. And yes, as I grew up and went into high school, there I am with hair. And look at those glasses. My God, I have like a windshield in front of me there. My word, how embarrassing. But I had hair. What happened? I didn't pull it out. The churches that I pastored haven't called me to pull it out, though I lost most of it since I was ordained. Here I am with my brother when, we, when I graduated from college. Yeah, growing up, brothers. He was proud of me. He came. He would say, this is my brother graduating from college. I loved him. Still do. Here we are on the first birthday of my brother's son, Ben. There's dad on the right, my mother, me, my brother. Ben, there's a little child in the middle who's now unbelievably, I think, something like 27 years old. Wow, time flies. I love my family. My family encompassed me in love. Here's my brother now. 
out in front with his bike. He hasn't changed. Just gotten bigger and less hair. My dad went on to be with the Lord, but mother and I, he liked to travel. There she is with me, taken on a cruise several years ago. I think this was a cruise, if I remember correctly, to Hawaii. But you couldn't tell it from the formal night pictures. I'm close with my mother. My family, my next of kin, my brother, my mother, my dad, my nephews and nieces, so many. They surround me with love. They surround me with their care and their concern. Thank you for letting me share them with you here today as we move into a message about our next of kin and how we're supposed to treat each other. Now, I must admit, run the picture all the way back. Run the picture all the way back to me and my brother when we're a little baby. Now, I must admit, those smiling visages of those little cherubs haven't always been there. In fact, usually we're not there. Usually it's words spoken and then we wish we could take them back. Words spoken that we wish we could reach out and grab and pull back in the instant they go out of our mouths, but we know we can't. And we'll say things that hurt each other. We'll say things that are intended to hurt each other. And then we'll regret them. Sometimes not the instant we say them, but pretty quickly thereafter. It's how we treat, sadly, our next of kin. It's how we treat each other. Go ahead and go to the title of the sermon. We treat each other pretty badly. As families and as communities of faith, we're often struggling, we're often backbiting, we're often arguing, but we're called to be kind to one another. Our scriptures today, the passage in our scripture today, the, the passage that I read, we're going to walk through it slowly, taking a look at the verses as we go. And see what the Apostle has to say to us about being kind to each other, about being next of kin. Next of kin to each other. Putting away falsehood, let us all speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Hmm. Now that's hard for us to remember. We want to have everything our own way. I had a teacher who once had on her wall a little sign that said, there are only two ways of doing anything, the wrong way and my way. That's us. We want everything our own way. And we're often not willing to compromise. We have sometimes some pretty nasty tactics at getting things our own way. We know how to twist things and prod and poke to get just the reaction we want and therefore get our own way. My brother, when I was growing up, would know how to say something in just the right way to make me angry. And then he'd get his own way. That's what we do. Putting away falsehood, let us all speak the truth to our neighbors for we are members of one another. This has to be the way we're called to live. 
In our families, we should remember this because our sisters, our brothers, our mothers, our fathers, our aunts, our uncles, our nieces and nephews, our cousins, our grandchildren, and yes, our great-grandchildren, they're all family. Even when they do or say things that we don't like, think or believe things with which we disagree, it doesn't matter, they are family. They are next of kin. In the church, we really should remember this. Because even though we don't want to admit it, we are members of one another. We are next of kin. We might want to deny that those with whom we disagree are connected with us. We might want to say that they're not our brothers and sisters. We might want to deny that we are part of the same family. But that's a tactic of the devil demonizing the other side. We're not allowed to do that as the body of Christ. Not if we are part of the body of Christ, the family of God, the children of God. No. Disagreements on fine points of theology or politics or social conventions do not invalidate our identity as siblings, as sisters and brothers in Christ. I don't care what your political or social or theological convictions are, be you liberal, conservative, moderate, everything in between, doesn't matter. We are part of the family of God. We are next of kin. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not make room for the devil. Yeah, be angry. Ah, I like that one, Paul. Thank you very much, but don't sin. you got to ruin it in the next phrase. I like being angry. It's kind of fun. Get your heart going. Gets that adrenaline flowing. Being angry, yeah, that's a good thing. He says, be angry, but do not sin. And then he says the thing that gets me in trouble every time. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Go on to bed angry. Oh, it ruins everything. That's the hard part there. Getting angry, that's easy. Boy, I've never seen a commandment that was more easy to do than be angry. But do not sin. Sin by letting the sun go down on your anger. Allowing the day to end with unresolved conflict, with unresolved anger, going to bed fuming. Forget the rest. You'll have nightmares. And it won't be any better in the morning. Be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And here's the one... <laughs> That's the hardest. Don't make room for the devil. Oh, we do that all the time. Going to bed angry, going to bed really, really mad makes room for the evil one. For evil machinations, laying in the dark at night, thinking about ways to get back at my brother. Or at that pastor of the church down the street? <coughs> Don't make room 
Brother Devil. Hmm. That's the challenge with being angry but not sinning and not allowing the sun to go down, the day to end on that anger. We want to, but we can't. When we make room for the devil, the devil rules over us. Our faces become contorted with angry leers and sneers and scowls. We get ulcers, our blood pressure goes up. The volume of our voices raise and become shrill. Our words often become slurred and lack precision. And we say things we thought we'd never say. Kind of sounds like possession, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. That's why we're told, yes, be angry. But don't sin. Don't allow it to rule your day to the point of going to bed angry. And don't make room for the devil. Because when we do, we take on those evil characteristics of his presence and not the presence of Christ. Thieves. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Aha! You people have got to stop thieving. You politicians and you lawyers and you rich people and you poor people, you've all got to stop stealing, right? Oops. Let no evil talk come from your mouths. <laughs> I just got myself in trouble, didn't I? <laughs> Let no evil talk come from your mouths, but only what is useful for building up. Well, I might be useful for something, but it isn't useful for building up. Then don't say it. As there is a need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. That makes all the backbiting and the whining and the lying and the bad talking a no no. So, why do we do it? Why do we say things that don't build up, but instead are designed to tear down? Why do we say things that are designed to harm, to hurt, that don't give grace, but give pain? We do this in our families all the time. And my friends, we do it in the church. Just go to annual conference and general conference and watch it. I have. Getting together with others and conspiring to figure out how to say something to hurt the other side. No. Paul was clear. Let no evil talk come out your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace, unmerited, unearned, undeserved love and favor to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption.
And that's what we're doing. When we're backbiting and arguing and fighting and having words come out of our mouths that don't build up, don't give grace, we are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. When we fail to give grace, when we fail to treat each other as sisters and brothers in Christ, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. But, 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 but they're sinners. Okay. We're not. But, but, uh, but we don't commit those sins. Okay, but we do commit these sins over here. But, 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 but those are really icky and sick, disgusting sins. Okay, but aren't ours bad and icky and disgusting too? But, 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 but. <laughs> those but buts won't get us very far, friends. When we think that another's sins are grievous and icky, while ours are not, we are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. We fail to do what Jesus told us to do, what Jesus commanded us to do, which is to pay attention and take care of the log in our own eyes before we think about trying to help our neighbor with the speck in theirs. Huh? Yeah. Thinking that another's sins are huge while yours are not is exactly the opposite of what Jesus told us to do, which is to take care of the log in your own eye. And then you may be able, you may be able to help your neighbor with the speck in their own eye. Wow. Hmm. When we think we only got a speck and they've got a log, we are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. So, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, along with all malice. Oh my goodness, if we put all those things away, there'd be nothing for the general conference to do. Accept worship and praise and pray. Oh, wow, what a day that would be. When our Jesus we shall see at general conference. But that's what we're supposed to do. Oh, how much better our lives would be if rather than in getting twisted up with bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander and malice, we dedicated ourselves to giving grace, sharing God's love with words that build up with others. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, Forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Be kind to one another. Do I have to? Must I? Throughout this entire parallelation here from Ephesians, throughout this entire passage, every single verb has been in the imperative case. 
Not if it's a good idea or if you think you might want to enjoy doing it or if it seems like a good idea at the time, be kind to one another. No, thou shalt be kind to one another. All of these are in the imperative case. These are commands, directives, not optional. Be kind to one another. That word kind is fascinating. Uh, The word kind in English comes from an old English word that is rooted in its Anglo-Saxon forebears, and it's the word kind. When you go to the hospital and they ask you, when you want to see someone and they ask you, are you next to kin? They're using the same word. To be kind to one another means to be kinned with them, next of kin, to treat them as if they are kin. Well, we treat our next of kin sometimes terribly. No, we're supposed to treat each other with grace, with peace, with love, with forbearance, with love, with forbearance. We are supposed to speak words of grace that build up not tear down. We're supposed to be the family of God in a broken and hurting world, a light shining on the hill that others might see and know the gospel of Jesus Christ, might see and know the love of God, might see and know the presence of Christ. We are called to be the hands and the feet, the eyes and the ears and the lips of Jesus in a world that needs to hear and to see and to know and receive Jesus. And yet, so frequently as the church... We don't speak words that build up or give grace. We speak words that break down and give judgment. We can't be about that, is the body of Christ. Well, I don't like those people on the other side of the subject. I don't like those people with whom I disagree. Sorry. There are times I don't like my brother. But I'm still called to love him. To care for him. To seek what is best for him. To speak words of grace to build up. And we are supposed to do the same in the body of Christ. This struggle isn't a new one for the church. Across the centuries, the church has struggled with being kind with one another. Throughout the centuries, the church has fought and argued Congregations have been divided on the inside. Whole regions of the church have argued and disagreed with each other. One, about a thousand years ago, the church in the West decided that they were going to add a little statement, just one little word in Latin to the creed that we said today. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. That's how it was originally stated, translated from the Greek. The Latin church translated into Latin, and they decided to add just one word, filioque, in Latin, to make it say, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. And when they did that, And they refused to take it out. The Eastern Church said, well, if you're going to do that, then we're going to say you're not really Christians. Huh? 
And since the East said that to the West, the West said it back to the East. Okay, if you're not going to accept it, then you're not really Christians either. And they sent delegations to both churches on either side. They walked in this great big parchment that said, you are excommunicated from the body of Christ. And they laid it on each other's altars. They excommunicated each other as whole churches. Was that giving grace? Was that speaking the love of Christ? I want you to shake your heads now. Well, before we get to super holy and think, well, well, we'd never do that, happens all the time. Why are there so many Protestant sects? I said sex with a S-E-C-T, not the other one. <laughs> Why are there so many? Because we have a habit of doing that too. Maybe not quite so formally or ridiculously, but we do it just as disgustingly. No, my brothers and sisters, we're called to recognize in each other that we are next of kin and treat each other as members of the family of God, as our sisters and our brothers, our cousins, our aunts, our uncles, our parents, our grandparents, our grandchildren. We're called to treat each other, to speak words of grace that build up, to love and to be a light shining in the wilderness of this world of the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. When we divide, when we split, when we argue, when we backbite, when we backtalk, when we speak behind our neighbor's back, when we say evil things about each other, then, my brothers and sisters, we as the body of Christ lose our effectiveness. We wonder why Christianity is sliding today. That's why. We wonder why churches sometimes aren't filled. That's why. Not because of theology or stance on social principles, but because we fail to do what we say. Because so often the church, the body of Christ, fails to witness to the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord by our actions and our words. We must treat each other as next of kin. It's not an option. All the directives here today are in the imperative case. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths is an imperative statement. It's a command. Wow. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It's an imperative. It's a command. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. It's an imperative. It's a command. Not an option. Be kind to one another. Treat each other as next of kin. It is an imperative. It's not an option. And we as the body of Christ, the church, must live this, must behave this way, must speak words that give grace and build up and not tear down. I heard an amen. Can I hear another one? Amen. My brothers and sisters. And I use that word a lot, those two words a lot, brothers and sisters, sisters and brothers. I believe that. I don't care where you stand 
on the political spectrum, the theological spectrum, the social policy issues spectrum. I don't care. I don't care where you're from, what language you speak, what ethnicity you are. Because all of us and all of the people out there are the ones for whom Jesus died. And all need to hear the gospel. All need to have the words of grace spoken and built up. All need to hear the good news of Jesus. All are called, and we must be ready to witness to the love we have received and to welcome them in to the body of Christ. Well, they may be doing things we don't like. Well, who? that's Jesus' job, friends, to deal with that. Amen. Well, they got to change. Have we changed much? Not by my looking around. It's the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord we're called to proclaim. We're called to be witnesses of the love of God. We're called to be kind to one another. And if we can't be kind to one another, what are they going to think out there? No, we must be kind to one another and kind to all because we are next of kin. Let the family of God say, Amen. Amen. I don't believe you believe that. Let the family of God say, Amen. Amen. Let the family of God say, Amen. Amen. Let the family of God say, Amen. Amen.